them up in prayer. Take them before the Lord this week, and we just want to stay connected in prayer. We've been in this series. This is part three this week. Uh, the first week we learned that our prayers are way too small and way too general. We need to pray big and specific prayers for the kingdom, and uh, we need to be praying big and specific prayers because generic and general prayers don't move God to specific actions. I have heard many stories over the last two weeks about people praying very specific prayers and seeing those prayers answered, and it's actually been absolutely amazing. You've seen some of those testimonies the last few weeks about how God answers prayer, and uh, glory be to God for those answered prayers. Last week, we talked about praying for outsiders. We talked about uh, that we need to talk to God about people before we talk to people about God, because His power makes all the difference to accomplish the mission of the gospel, which we're all a part of. So we need to be constantly praying for our ones, praying for the, for the people that are lost and outside of Jesus Christ and outside of His church. And today in part three, we're going to be uh, still, still talking about the mission, but in a completely different way, as we're going to look at a prayer of Jesus this morning in the upper room with the disciples where He was actually asking for the unity of all believers. Now, before I read our scripture, I'm just wondering, um, how many of you have ever seen or been a part of a team that was not going the same direction? You're part of maybe a workplace or a team, uh, some type of organization that you felt like they're fragmented. They are not moving the same direction. Maybe some of you can relate to that uh, division on a team where you feel like, well, hey, this part's moving this way and this part wants to move this way and they're just not unified. They're just not going the same direction. Now, if you think about that for a minute, you say, well, what's the problem here with being unified? Well, here's the deal. I, I think that it's one of the devil's greatest weapons against God's people, and specifically God's church. See, if the devil can get us fighting each other, and we can get focused on aesthetics and other things, and not be focused on the mission, and not be focused on Jesus Christ, then we'll quit worrying about fighting Satan, (laughs) and he'll win. We'll quit, we'll quit fighting for the souls that are lost. And I think it is one of, great, of, of Satan's greatest strategies is to divide Christians, to neutralize them so that they are not living for Jesus. I believe that a unified church on a unified mission can do incredible and powerful things for the kingdom of God. We become an unstoppable kingdom force when we unify together, moving the same direction. So in our passage this morning, Jesus is talking about this very topic, the unity of all believers. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 17. John chapter 17. If you want to follow along on the app, we've made that easy for you. Just go to the app, go to that Connect tab, and the sermon notes are right there in the corner. You can follow along there. It has all the scriptures and all the bullet points and all that. If you're using one of our Bibles this morning, just turn it to page 903. 903, and you'll be right where we need to be. John chapter 17. Let me give you a little bit of a background here. Uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16. If you have red letters in your Bible, turn back and look at all that, and you'll actually see uh, Jesus has been speaking for many chapters here. He's been in the upper room with the disciples, and he's been teaching them. And it's kind of Jesus' farewell address to the disciples. He's telling them, hey, I'm leaving, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. He calls them the comforter, the counselor. And he's, he's preparing them for, for him leaving, for him going to the cross uh, of Calvary in just a few short hours. 
You get to uh, chapter 17, and Jesus prays at the end of this. And if you flip over to chapter 18, you find out then he's betrayed and arrested. So this is right before he's betrayed and arrested. And look at what he prays for toward the end of this prayer, down in verse 20. John chapter 17, verse 20. This is Jesus. He prays this. He says, I do not ask for these only. Okay, and he's talking about the disciples. He's been praying for the disciples in the verses above. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So through the word of the disciples, through the word of the apostles, Jesus is praying here that those are going to hear, hear and know about Jesus and know about God through the word of the disciples. But notice it's future tense there. He said, I'm praying for those who will believe. That means Jesus was praying for us. For all of those that would believe in the future. And what is he going to pray for them? Let's look here. He says, uh, all those who will believe in me through their word, verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And then I love what Jesus does here. It's cause and effect. He says, so that, so that what? That we would be one for what? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That you would be able to take a diverse people from all different socioeconomic places, from all different backgrounds and races, and bring them together on a common mission and a common love for Jesus Christ. That the world would know Jesus through that. Isn't that amazing? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Then they may be one, again, he's saying we want them to be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. You see, as Christians, we must move from the me agenda to the we agenda. It's part of the process of us growing up and becoming more like Christ. That we move away from selfishness. That we move away from what just I want. And then we move to a we agenda about what we want. What does God want? What does Jesus want in our lives? You see, we put off the desires of the flesh, Paul says. Those desires that serve only ourselves that focus only on ourselves. And we put those off and we focus on the Lord and we focus on the mission. And in verse 21, what does he say there? He says, so that the world may know Jesus through us. You see, in John 10, 10, it says that Satan is a thief, that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan comes to steal the unity of Christians. He comes to kill the power that that unity brings. And he comes to destroy the credibility of the local church that stands for Jesus Christ because he's a thief and he's a liar and he's a deceiver. And I'm telling you this morning that we can do infinitely more together for the glory of God moving the same direction than we can apart. And that is why we pray for unity. And that is why we are called to live unity, to live unified. But why why do we pray for this? Why is it so important? The first thing I want you to get this morning about unity is that disunity disrupts the mission. Disunity disrupts the mission. I think this is why Jesus 
prayed this toward the end of this prayer in the upper room with the disciples, right before he was betrayed, right before he was led to the cross. One of his final prayers is, oh, Father, that they would be one as you and I are one, that they would stay connected, that they would stay on the same team because Jesus knew that disunity in this body, disunity amongst Christians is going to disrupt the mission. Now, I want you to imagine me for a, for, for a minute, and, and I'm talking about unity not only inside one church, but inside all churches, okay? When you see the New Testament beyond Jesus Christ, after he has ascended and after he has uh, rose to heaven, isn't it amazing how you, you just read about the church in Ephesus? Just one church in Ephesus. Oh, in Philippi, uh, seven, many miles away. Well, they need a church there, the church in Philippi. Now, could you come to Enid, Oklahoma today and say, the church in Enid? No, because why? Well, because there's like, uh, someone told me this week, there's 86 churches in Enid. That, that's down actually from 130 just a few years ago. 86 churches in Enid. What, what happened there? Do you think that we would make an impression more on the world together than we would separately? Do you think that people would stand up and notice the gospel more, the work of Christ more, if all of the Christians in Enid, all of the churches just united and became one. I think that would be quite a sight. I mean, can you imagine four or 5,000 people on a Sunday all gathering together? It'd be a pretty big deal. I mean, we'd have to you know, like rent the mall to have church, you know, and we need the parking all around the mall to park all the cars for all the people. So we're not only talking about, uh, Jesus not only praying for unity inside a church, but he's talking about unity inside the church, the worldwide church, because we can do so much more together. And he understood that disunity is going to disrupt this mission. Disunity is going to take away from missional focus. If churches and Christians are fighting and they're focused on aesthetics or they're focused on my personal preferences more than the mission, then Satan has done his job well again. And Satan is a divider and he wants to divide churches to neutralize that ministry. And I want to give you an example of this this morning. I actually got uh, this letter in the mail dated March 10th, 2017. This is from a church in Oklahoma City. And it starts out by saying, we the undersigned send this letter on behalf of so-and-so because we don't agree with an elder's decision for our church. Now, biblically, they should go to the elders and have this conversation, not write a letter to the congregation about it because this is disunity. And then what they did is at the end, they signed their names and then on the back, anytime you see the list of names, you know this is disunity. And then you get this from the church it's on church letterhead, and it's going to all the people in the church, and it's a response from the elders. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you think this church is focused on the mission right now? Absolutely not. You know what they're going to be focused on? For about the next 18 months, they're going to be focused on unity, on getting back this church together in unity so that we can move forward with the mission. And that's why I think it's so important for all of us to acknowledge this morning that unity is so mission critical because disunity disrupts the mission. The second thing I want you to get this morning, why, why pray for unity? Why is this thing, why is unity important? It's because we desperately need each other. We actually desperately need each other. We need everybody. Some people hear the word unity and they think uniformity. Well, if it's unity, then we all have to be the same. No, no, no. Unity is not uniformity. 
we will achieve full strength in our diversity because we need people that work at all places in Enid. We need people that are members of all socioeconomic levels in Enid. We need people that are in all kinds of sports and activities in Enid. We need everyone to come together. The diversity in the body is actually more powerful. I think we'll be at full strength in our diversity more than our uniformity. Look what the Bible says about this in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. It says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Some of the members can sing. Amen? Praise the Lord that some can sing, <laughs> and some of us are, can't sing, and we, you know. But it says, hey, and the members do not all have the same function. We're not all on the worship team, right? So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another because we need each other. We need people who can sing. We need people who can pray. We need people who can share the gospel. We need people who can teach. We need people who can take care of kids and love teenagers and, and do all of the work of the church. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 about this. It says that he, this is being Jesus, it says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints, that's the saved ones, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, so, so what? For the building up of the body of Christ. Until, until what? Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be like children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and, de and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, I love it. Another translation says, every supporting ligament. That's what we are. We're all supporting ligaments. From which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it will build itself up in love. You get, you get what it's talking about here? He's saying when all of the parts of the body come together and we're moving the same direction and we're all different and we're very diverse and we have different talents and abilities and passions and when we all come together and we get on the same page, it's going to make the body of Christ grow and build itself up in love. You see, the apostles and the disciples and all of them did miraculous signs and miracles. I mean, you could go up to, to Peter, you could go to the apostle Paul and they just did these miraculous things. I think the miraculous thing that Jesus left for us in the church is love love, that, that you could take this diverse group of people and make them love Jesus so, so much and love each other so much and treat each other so well that they would become a powerful tool and a witness to the world. Because get on Facebook. There's not a, love, a lot of love on Facebook. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of blowing up on Facebook. It's because that's what's out in the world. That should be the contrast that we have as the church to be different. We need each other to fill in the gaps of our weaknesses. We need each other to be a complete body of Christ. And so we need to encourage each other, to build each other up, to learn from each other. And that's why it's so desperate that we need each other to be complete. That's why we pray for unity. Why, why else should we pray for unity? It's because we can accomplish infinitely more together. 
I promise we can accomplish so much more together. Look what it says, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. It says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow man. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We can accomplish infinitely more together moving in the same direction. There's this wonderful thing. It's been talked about, and you've probably seen it or felt it before. A lot of times you hear about it in the world of sports. It's called momentum. Have you ever heard that word momentum? Here's the interesting thing about momentum. You either have it or you do not have it. I know that was profound. but You either have it or you do not have it. If you do not have momentum... In whatever part of your life you can think of, maybe it's momentum in your business that's driving things forward. Maybe it's momentum on a sports team that's going to get you to your goals, get you to the championship round. If you don't have momentum in your workplace, if you don't have maybe momentum in your church, if you don't have it, you're always looking for a way to get it, aren't you? You're probably expending energy and resources to try to get momentum again. But the interesting thing about momentum is momentum is everybody moving in the same direction toward the same goal. Everything moves better and faster and quicker and with more energy and more excitement when momentum is present. Think about it. A boulder rolling down a mountainside. When it starts its fall, it doesn't have very much momentum. But as it continues to fall and roll down the hills and down the mountains, it gains momentum. This is the same as a great idea. This is the same as, as a team that's on a winning streak. This is the same as an economy that's on a roll. So imagine the power of God leveraging His power in people. That these people might do His will. And that all those people coming together would be moving the same direction. And what we just read in the Scriptures was being one, right? Being one in mind, being one in purpose. Just imagine what God could do with momentum with people like that. There will be so many lives changed. There will be so many eternal destinies redeemed and secured. The movements of God are going to build our faith even more. Because it's like I said before, as Christians... We must move from the me agenda to the we agenda. Christians must move from the me agenda to the we agenda. And that unity has to start somewhere. And I thought a lot about that this week. Where does it start? I mean, Jesus is praying for it here, so maybe that's where it starts. It starts with prayer, but that unity also starts with something else. It starts with a personal relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Because I don't think as a church we could actually have oneness. We couldn't have complete unity if we don't know Him personally. You see, the root of the unity problem in a lot of churches, you know what I think it stems from? It's a unity problem that some of those people have with their Savior. It's not actually a corporate problem. 
It's actually a personal problem of the heart. It's actually a problem that we need to address and ask ourselves, have we accepted Christ as Savior and Lord? And if we accept Him as Savior, that's great. But if we accept Him as Lord, then we, we are saying, God, You have dominion over our lives. And everything that we do and everything we live for and everything that we are is all about You. When was the last time you prayed and repented of personal sin in your life? When was the last time you confessed to God about an attitude or a decision that you had not yielded to Him? When was the last time you laid yourself before God and you said, I yield myself to you, not my will be done? That's what we pray for a lot. Oh, I pray my, my will be done. No, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you yielded to His wills and His way? Have you surrendered your plans? Have you laid out your agendas and, and all of those things that you plan for in life, and have you laid those before the Savior and said, Lord, I want unity in my life and in purpose for it? Because maybe if there's disunity, it's really about our relationship with Jesus Christ has to do with how close we are to Him. Because I think the, closest we are, the closer we are to Jesus, the closer we're going to be to one another. I'm going to leave you this morning with the word of Scripture. It's Romans chapter 15, verses 5-7. through 7, And then I'm going to pray. This is what it says. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God the Father. Let's pray. Lord God, we just come to You now, Lord God, we are just in awe that you could take completely diverse backgrounds, completely different people. Lord, we think about your disciples, tax collectors that were basically traitors to the Jews, doctors and, and lawyer types, and fishermen, hardworking, blue collar guys, and you bring them together on a team whose mission was to go out and to make your Son known. <laughs> and God, you did amazing things through these people because of the unity that they had behind the mission. But Lord, we acknowledge this morning after reading all these Scriptures today and after thinking about this, and, and even for myself personally after studying this the last few weeks, Lord, that this... This unity problem we have sometimes in Christianity is more about a unity problem we have with you personally than it is about getting along with our brother and sister. Lord, we understand that sometimes our, our immaturity or our lack of faith manifests itself in that way. But I have to look inside myself and ask myself, am I really walking closely with you? 
And God, I know that here at this church, at the fellowship that, that meets at 401 North Oakwood Road, Lord, that we can do infinitely more together than we can apart. And so God, we pray this morning for unity. We pray for the unity that we need to have with You. We pray for the unity we need to have together in this body. And God, that You would bless it and continue to do Your work in us and through us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.